Good morning. We began this uh, preaching series called uh, Prayer Equals Life, uh, I don't know, a month or two back now. Uh, And in it, we are looking at a whole range of stories from the Bible in which people prayed right in the midst of everyday life uh, and to some degree encountered God for themselves. Uh, Over the last few weeks then, uh, we've eavesdropped on the prayers of people like Abraham and Jacob, people like Moses, Gideon, Hannah, uh, And then last week, uh, Elijah. Uh, This morning, uh, we finally get to the Psalms, uh, which is very much the prayer book of the Bible. Now, if you've ever dipped into the Psalms, you'll know that they contain a whole lot of prayers by people who are often suffering and asking God for help or some kind of rescue or relief. And almost all of these Psalms end on a note of hope. Either person praying begins to see God's work out there in the world, or if not, they at least sense God at work inside their own heart. In other words, virtually always when someone is saying, oh, I'm in trouble. God, I'm in great need. Come and help me. Come and rescue me. Come and break into my situation. Almost always the prayer ends on a note of hope. But that's really not the case in the psalm which we're going to be looking at today, just to warn you. It's one of only two psalms that end without any hope whatsoever. Uh, If you want to follow along and be encouraged, we're going to be in Psalm 88. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care." You've put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Well, I'm going to hand back over to Steve now, who's going to lead us uh, in worship. (laughs) No, I think you'd agree, not really a whole lot of joy uh, 
going on in this psalm. It's like the writer's completely and utterly surrounded by darkness, not even the slightest chink of light getting through. In fact, in the original Hebrew version of this psalm, the word darkness is the very last word of the prayer. It ends with darkness. Now, you might be sitting there wondering why on earth we're looking at this psalm today. You might be wondering what on earth a prayer like this is even doing in the Bible. As we're going to see, the answer is, it's doing us a whole lot of good if we're willing to listen to it. Because Christians, I think, can often be very naive about the inevitability of suffering in this life. So when things go wrong, often thrown by it, don't really know how to process it. This psalm will help us. But first, we have to be willing to listen. And so to that end, before we go any further, I want to pray. Uh, And if you agree with the prayer, either out loud or quietly in your mind, you say amen at the end. God, we've already invited you to come and speak to us today. I just want to underline that. Please come and speak. I want to pray you would soften our hearts to hear you, to receive your word. I want to pray you would undistract our minds from all the thoughts and all the turmoil that there might be there to receive your word. I want to pray you would unblock our ears to hear you. In the midst of potential distractions, in the midst of just the pain that might be dredged up by this talk, however well or however badly I might put this across personally, God, would you speak? God, would we hear your voice? And would we be in some way encouraged and helped as a result. Amen. Right at the very outset, just so you know where we're heading with this, four main messages I want to draw out from this psalm. First of all, spiritual and personal darkness can last a very long time, no matter what you do. However, secondly, times of darkness are often the best place to learn about God's grace. Because thirdly, times of darkness can be the very best situation for you to grow into someone of greatness. And fourthly, regardless of how you feel, your darkness needn't be the final word. Darkness can last a long time. It can show you God's grace It can turn you into someone great, and it doesn't have to be the final word. Start with the first point. Both spiritual and personal darkness can last a very long time, no matter what you do. I think one of the main messages of this psalm seems to be that you can pray and pray and pray and pray. You can do everything right, calling out to God, crying to Him, believing in Him, asking for His help. You can pray and you can live rightly and still be absolutely plunged into darkness for what seems like an eternity. I think there are two different kinds of darkness being experienced by the author of this psalm. If you like, there's an outside darkness and there's also an inside darkness. For starters, this man is facing 
huge problems out there in the world. Uh, He's in the middle of some pretty bleak, some pretty dark circumstances. Don't know exactly what they are. All we know is that his closest friends and loved ones have been taken away from him and he himself uh, appears to be facing imminent death. That's the darkness outside. There's also an inner darkness. Verse 1, he says he trusts in God as his saviour. God's the one who saves. But in his heart, in his feelings, he has no sense of God's presence at all. In fact, quite the opposite. He feels abandoned by God. He feels very much rejected by God. He feels trampled on by God. He feels like God's wrath, God's anger is on him. No sense on the inside that he feels God's love, that he feels God's care, that he knows God's presence. Now look, if you have external darkness but internally you feel that God's with you and in some way you can sense his love for you, then you can handle it. But when you have external darkness and internal darkness, that's an awful place to be. And that's precisely what we see here in this psalm. Here's a man who prays and prays and prays and prays, does everything he possibly can, yet when all is said and done, he still finds himself in this place of darkness. This psalm is giving us an incredibly tough message. It's saying you can be a good person, you can pray like crazy, and everything can still go wrong. And it can very much feel like God is in some way against you. That's the first message. You say, what? I I thought the Bible says that God always works everything out for good, that God has a purpose, a good purpose behind everything. Yes, the Bible says that. But the Bible also says that you may go all of your life and never have any idea what the good purpose is. Something dreadful might happen to you and you may never ever in this lifetime have any idea why God allowed it. That's to be in darkness. Listen, whoever tries to argue from the Bible that everything always turns out right in the end... We'll have to begin by tearing this page right out of the Bible. I think this psalm ends the way it does to try to highlight to us the reality that you can do everything right and everything can still be seeming to go wrong. And it might go on like that for a long time and through it all you might have no sense that God is with you in it. Now, how on earth does that help us prepare for suffering? I think it helps us enormously because it just says to us that can happen. You know, I think Western Christians particularly are so naive about this. See, your expectations have so much to do with how you process what happens to you. Give you an illustration. Imagine that 
you booked a bog-standard room in your local travel lodge. But before you went into your room, you were told, look, this is a honeymoon suite. You'd probably open the door, walk in, look around, and say, what a dump. But if before you went into that very same room, you were told, this is a prison cell, you would open the door, you would walk in, you'd look around, and you'd say, actually, it's not so bad. Do you see, your expectations are in some way controlling how you experience the very same circumstances. If you go through all of life thinking nothing bad can ever happen to you, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, God would never let something like this happen. Why? I mean, Jesus was a good person, but he didn't have a particularly good end, did he? What what makes you think you are in some way above him? I'm telling you, naivety is often as big a danger as the trouble itself. And this psalm will give you, in some way, a wiser heart. It will say, this can happen. Christians are not immune to tough circumstances. So first of all then, darkness, both spiritual and personal, out there and inside, can last a long time. However, secondly, times of darkness can be some of the very best places to learn about God's grace. Times of darkness can be some of the very best places to learn about God's grace. How? Well, look at the language of this man. All the way through, he's talking to God, but he isn't controlling his temper. He's not controlling the flow of his emotions. For example, verses 10 to 12, he says, "'Do you show your wonders to the dead?' Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave? Your faithfulness in destruction, in my destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? It's like he's cross-examining God. He's putting God in the dock and prosecuting. He's saying, I want to praise you. I want to declare your faithfulness to the world. I want this to be one of those other psalms that begins in darkness and ends in hope and light. But how can I bring one of those psalms when I'm being trampled to the ground, deserted and killed? Don't you want me to be able to praise you? Don't you want me to be able to tell other people about your goodness? Isn't that the whole idea? Then why aren't you answering me but he gets no answer and he's livid it's the reason why in verse 15 he starts to say from my youth I've suffered and been close to death I've borne your terrors and am in despair your wrath has swept over me your terrors have destroyed me from my youth do you know what he's doing I think he's taking the difficulty of his present, and he's reading his entire life in light of it. He's saying, you've never been there for me. You've never done anything good for me. It's like his present circumstances are blinding him to God's goodness in the past. You know, I think that's a danger for all of us. 
I believe one of the things that God wants to do today is open your eyes to the reality of his goodness in the past, even if it's going back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, however far back. It's like God wants to remove the blinkers from you, remove the scales from your eyes, the cataracts, so you can see back with clarity, so that you can remember his goodness. So you can remember those times when God was faithful and God did come through for you. This psalmist can't do that. Just from my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. And right at the end, do you remember what he says? He says, darkness is my closest friend. It's like he's saying, darkness is a better friend than you are to me right now, God. Not a whole lot of reverence or respect for God going on here. In fact, many people would say he's speaking blasphemously to God. I think that's precisely why this psalm teaches us a lot about God's grace. The very presence of these kinds of prayers in the Bible where people are speaking in this kind of over-the-top way, this borderline blasphemously way to God. They're screaming and they're angry and they're despondent and they're bitter. It's a powerful witness to God's understanding. It's like he knows how people speak when they're desperate. God didn't censor them. God didn't take these prayers out. God didn't say, I don't want those sorts of prayers in my Bible. I don't want anyone to see that kind of thing going on. I don't want to be identified with people who pray like that. By keeping those prayers in the Bible, he does absolutely identify with them. He's saying, I'm still the God of this man in spite of the way he talks to me. Listen, the very presence of these prayers, the, the fact God even keeps them in there, is a testimony to us today that he understands. He knows how we talk when we get like this. It doesn't matter, he is still our God. It says in verse 1, it is God who saves, not you. God's saying, I'm your God, not because you put on a happy face in the morning. I'm your God, not because you kind of put on a mask so everyone thinks everything's going okay, but under the surface it's not. Not because you say everything's just right, not because you do everything just right, not because you always speak nicely to me. I'm your God because I'm a God of grace. In spite of all the things you do wrong, your petulance, your blindness, your impatience, your mood swings... I'm still your God. To be honest, we need to hear that. I mean, how liberating. I'm telling you, in my dark times over the years, that is when I've come to see and understand and really get the patience and grace of God, not in times of prosperity and happiness. Secondly then, times of darkness. Often the best places to learn about God's grace. Not least because thirdly, darkness can turn you into someone great. Especially in times of absolute darkness. 
where you not only don't see God working in your life, but you don't even feel him present, those times are perhaps the supreme opportunities for you to become someone great. Those times when you're both experiencing darkness outside and inside. You're getting absolutely nothing out of prayer. You're getting absolutely nothing out of serving God. It doesn't seem to be paying back at all. There's no felt benefit in it for you. Those times are extremely important. And here's why. How many of you have ever read the story of Job in the Old Testament? Maybe that's the one kind of skip over when we're kind of doing our Bible in the year and kind of whiz on to the next bit. I don't know, maybe you don't quite get that far. If you remember, the, the book starts with Satan taunting, taunting God. He, he points to this guy Job and he says, does Job serve God for nothing? What Satan's doing, he's it, it, not just pointing to Job, I think he's pointing beyond Job to us. He's pointing to devoted believers in God. And he's saying to God, look at your so-called devoted believers they're not really serving you. They're only serving you because it pays. They say, oh, I'm serving God, I'm serving my neighbor, I'm serving the poor, but they're really ultimately just serving themselves. So they think that if they do all of this stuff, you're going to answer their prayers and you're going to one day take them to heaven and they're going to feel good about themselves. They're not loving you, they're loving themselves. Satan says, those are human beings. They're absolutely self-centered totally selfish. Even when they look like they're serving God or serving other people, they're not loving you, they're not loving their neighbours, really they're just loving themselves. That's why the world is in the miserable state it is, and I can prove it, says Satan. Plunge some of them into darkness, take away all of their earthly comforts, set things up so there don't appear to be any benefits at all, and then I'm telling you, then you'll see them cursing you, because they're not your servants, they're mercenaries. Now, I don't know how you respond to that. I don't know what you think of those accusations, but I do think there's at least a grain of truth in them because that is how very often we start off with God. Almost always, in fact. You say, well, I want to pray. I want to read the Bible. I want to go to church. I want to sense God in my life because you have needs. Because you have a problem, we have this going on or that going on, and you, you want something from him, you need something from him. But as soon as things start to get hard or difficult, as soon as things st- uh, darken a little bit or get ever so slightly tough, and maybe he's not answering your prayers, and things aren't going the way you want or you dream or you wish, You start to say, hey, I'm doing this stuff. I'm doing all of that. I'm working really hard. Why isn't God coming through for me? And over time, the tendency can be to either sulk and withdraw or to start wallowing in self-pity. It's like we begin to show that Satan is right about the self-centeredness of the human heart. See, we all start out with that kind of shallowness of character. But returning to the psalm, as bad as it looks, as much as this guy seems to be really blowing it, I mean, he's exaggerating, he's yelling at God, he's complaining, he's shaking his fist, he's bitter, he's despondent, yet he's screaming and bitter and despondent before God. 
every single thing he does and says in this psalm is prayer to God. Even at the very end when he says, your darkness is my closest friend. He's saying it to God. He's still with God. He's staying with God even though he's getting nothing out of it. I want you to realize that when and almost only when you go through times of darkness, where not only bad things are happening outside but inside, you don't even sense God there, when you're in the middle of those situations, a great choice comes to you. It's a question from God. It goes a bit like this. Now you're in this situation, we'll finally get to see whether you got into this relationship to serve me or basically to get me to serve you. Will you remain faithful even when it seems like you're getting nothing out of it? Even through the darkness, will you still hold on to me? And if in that situation, in the darkness, you just hold on, maybe your prayers are as bad as this, maybe they're worse. Maybe all you do is say to God, God, I don't like what's happening. I don't understand you. I'm mad at you. But I'm not going to go anywhere. Why? I'm going to pray. I'm going to serve I'm going to keep obeying as best as I can because you're God. Not because you're my servant, not because you're doing nice things for me, but because you're God and I'm not. And so at the end of the day, I'm going to keep clinging on to you. If you do that, like this guy, you've begun to overcome the enemy. You've begun to grow into somebody And if you make that choice to stick with God, when the darkness lifts or slightly lessens, you will find it has strengthened your heart. You have grown in faith. You are less fearful. You're more courageous. You're more set up to overcome. So thirdly then, holding on to God through the darkness, it can produce greatness in you. And then fourthly, regardless of how you feel, your darkness doesn't have to be the final word. You don't need me to tell you that when you're in darkness, you can very much feel like it's absolute. Certainly what this man felt He felt that God's rejection of him was complete, that God's anger was totally against him, that he had abandoned him completely, that there was no purpose in it or to it whatsoever. He felt that the darkness was absolute and permanent, that it was the final word in his life. But through it all, he was wrong. How do we know that? Well, most of the Psalms have titles, if you take a look in your Bible, you'll see that this is a psalm written not by David, but by a man that I want to call He-Man, but that would be slightly distracting, so I'll call him Haman instead. I think that's probably the, the, the proper pronunciation. Now, we know from 1 Chronicles 6 that Haman was the leader of the Kohathite Guild of Musicians and Poets. 
Now, if you're interested in reading some of the psalms of the Kohathite guild, uh, you look later there in the 40s and the 80s of the psalms. And they're considered by many to be some of the very greatest of all of the psalms. So think about this. If Haman helped write some of the greatest psalms, that means he produced some of the greatest artistry in the history of the world. It's like... His experience of darkness turned him into an artist who down through the centuries has helped millions of people. But from his point of view, he thought it was total. He thought God had abandoned him, that God couldn't have any purpose whatsoever in this. Yet the darkness turned him into a great artist. Now, do you reckon that Haman ever would have thought that that's part of two and a half thousand years later, in a place called Birmingham, if you'd ever heard of that, a room full of people like this would be gathering together on a cold, dank, autumnal morning and talking and reflecting on his art. Of course not. So he was wrong. God hadn't abandoned him. just felt like God had abandoned him. But the darkness he felt wasn't absolute, it wasn't total, certainly wasn't permanent. And all that being said, I know it's all very well, sitting here and with the benefit of hindsight, several thousand years, being able to look back and say, okay, God did bring some good out of that. But when I feel abandoned in my darkness today, when I feel God has totally rejected me in my darkness How can I know here and now that that is true for me? The answer is, we really can. And here's how. End of Psalm 88. Darkness is my closest friend. Does this remind you of anybody? How could it not? Matthew 27, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over all all the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Listen, Jesus got the ultimate darkness Haman thought he'd got, but actually hadn't. Jesus got total darkness He got the real wrath of God. He was absolutely and utterly abandoned, crushed. Why? Why did he get that absolute darkness? Why did he cry out that his father had abandoned him? Why was darkness his only friend? The answer is because ultimately through it all, God wanted us to know him, for us to have relationship with him for us to be forgiven you see everything satan said in his accusation to job and through job to us is pretty much true in our heart of hearts we are self-centered we do at least at times exploit one another it is the reason the world's in the state it's in we do at times exploit god We deserve for God to abandon us. But all the time, he wants to forgive us. 
Now let's not take this lightly. Just linger here a little while. Dig a bit deeper into this. When you forgive somebody who has wronged you, what does that mean in practice? I'll tell you what it means. In some way, you have to absorb the debt instead of making that other person pay. That's kind of what forgiveness is. So for God to forgive us for this complete self-centeredness, this messing up of his creation, this trampling on one another, this turning away from him, he came to earth in the form of Jesus and paid, absorbed, took the debt himself. He took the darkness, the ultimate darkness, the ultimate wrath, so that our darkness need never be absolute. In other words, Jesus was really abandoned, totally abandoned. So although there might be times when you feel abandoned, ultimately you're not. Just let it sink in. When Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, shortly before his arrest, trial, and crucifixion, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, grappling with his father, pleading that the cup would be taken from him, that the course of his life, if there was any other way, could be changed. He ends by saying, if not my will, your will be done. When Jesus was in the garden, he knew that ultimate darkness was coming. In that moment, he went through with it. He didn't abandon you. He kept going. He went through it, and he died for you. Now think about it. If Jesus didn't abandon you in his ultimate darkness... Why in the world would he then abandon you in yours? Here's what I want you to grasp. Because it truly was the case for Jesus that darkness on the cross was his only friend. In your darkness, God is still there with you as your friend. However it feels, he hasn't abandoned you. I mean, he's not going to take two payments for the same debt. Jesus has completely, utterly, totally paid for our sins. And now he loves you. And so there is actually an answer to the sarcastic, angry question in the middle of this psalm. In frustration, Haman asks God, verse 10, Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? And for us today, because Jesus died for our sins, the answer is yes. Someday, we are going to rise from the dead and praise him for eternity because he took our penalty and he took our sins on himself. Many years ago now, I used to know a chronically ill woman Whenever somebody said to her, oh, you seem like you're suffering so much. How do you feel? She always answered, nothing the resurrection can't cure. She was right. If you know the resurrection is coming, actually it's impossible to be in utter darkness. Regardless of how you feel, 
your darkness really doesn't have to be the final word. There's a man who wrote about this psalm, Psalm 88. I just want to close this out by reading you his conclusion. This is what he writes. This darkness can happen to a believer, this psalm says. It doesn't mean you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who doesn't deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. That doesn't mean you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts because only in the next will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers. There is a purpose. And eventually, you will know it.